Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we will cover all things about sales engineering, customer success, and best practices in the tech ecosystem. Recorded live outside of Boston, MA, here's your host, Gary Sloper. That song is by the band Casino Sunday. Check them out on Bandcamp or iTunes, based out of New Jersey. Great band. Hello, welcome. I am Gary Sloper, your host today for the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we talk about sales engineering and customer success within the tech ecosystem. I am here today. It is, uh, wow, geez, we're winding down October. And as I always talk about here in the fall in New England, it is continuing to get cold, but uh, we will eventually have summer, like several months from now. (laughs) No, uh, it is a depressing time of year. I hate we're, we're, I don't know, for another week or two away from changing the clocks, but I do not like that time of year. Um, it, uh, it depresses me. I feel like you go to the office dark, you leave to go home and it's dark. So this is usually when I start to, uh, start to uh, hibernate away and do a lot of reading and catching up and, and watching a lot of videos and listening to podcasts, uh, to, to continue developing myself as a professional. So I guess I guess it's all not that bad. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the customer success metrics that exist. I know some of you are very interested in this topic. You have your own opinions. Some of those opinions are the same as the rest of the peers in the industry, and some of those are a little slightly different based on your business. So this week we wanted to shift away from pre-sales and move into the post-sales aspect of it. And One of the things that I cannot stress enough as we talk about metrics within customer success, and that is the human element. So I am a big proponent on data. Uh, I always have been in in all aspects of my career, whether it's, you know, early on when I was a programmer trying to figure out, you know, the the amount of time to, to launch certain aspects of code or to complete a project, I was always measuring myself. So that part of my DNA has always existed. And as I continued through my career into uh, solution architecture and then into sales operations and having to manage, uh, when I was at CenturyLink, about a billion and a half of, of revenue annually, really had to understand the analytics, especially at, at a company like that, where you are beholden to uh, the, the numbers that would eventually go out and, and roll up to Wall Street. So you really needed to understand every aspect of your business, but no matter how much you worked in a spreadsheet or you worked in Salesforce to pull out dashboards, there is this still, you know, somewhat forgotten component that exists and that's the human element. And what I mean by that is as you're measuring your business, please don't forget about your customer. Please don't forget that no matter how much you've put into health scores and some sort of secret sauce algorithm that will spit out to say this customer is good or this customer is not good in terms of doing business with us. Keep in mind, there's always that human element. There's that gut, there's that hunch, or, you know, I just know them as, as a client. I've had them in several organizations and I know their buying cycle. I know their MO and, and quite honestly, I think they may leave us or they're unhappy or they're always unhappy at every company that they go to. So this score that I have completely should go out the window. And I bring that up because those that are leading sales organizations, the CROs out there, as you're utilizing various tools and aspects and analytics to drive home what your closed quota could be or 
potentially a shortfall, which is obviously adds probably another layer of complexity in terms of analytic requests coming out of finance and uh, the CFO's office. But when you roll up your numbers, you are not simply just going off of the analytics. You are having one-on-ones with your sales leaders, your sales individuals, maybe even across the the, the scale of your pre-sales team. Is this deal going to close? What is your take on this? And, and you're, you're kind of doing all that fact-finding. Plus, you're in some of those deals. You're having conversations with customers. So I have not found really many leaders that simply go off of what the analytics come out of their CRM to roll up a quota number. So I, I say that because as you're Many of you in your unique businesses, I don't care if you're a SaaS business, I don't care if you're a legacy services business, please remember that there's a human element to this. So utilize the data and the analytics to help you make those informed decisions, but please don't make that to be the end-all be-all. And, and maybe you, you will get there. Maybe, maybe we all will get there where we can simply push a button and it automatically has within a low standard deviation uh, you, you know, a spit out that says this customer will churn or this customer will renew, this customer will add additional products uh, from a cross-sell standpoint. But until that day comes, I cannot stress enough that every single member of your team should be out in front of customers, should be utilizing that as a gut check. You can have all the analytics and all the dashboards you want, but people are supporting people and you know your customer better than any sort of CRM. Now, with that uber amount of power that I've just bestowed on all of you, that does not mean forget about the analytics, they're not worth it. Because as you get deeper into the business, whether it's transactional or it's lumpy with large opportunities that close uh, you know, within the funnel, you really do need to know what is up in terms of the, the, the analytics within your business and, and those metrics. Much like sales, much like pre-sales and, and quite honestly, here on the on the post-sale side within customer success. I mean, if you think about it, there's the analytics that go along all across the, the landscape within your tech organization. Your support teams are probably measuring tickets and mean time to repair and SLA breaches and, um, you know, positive surveys that come back. But they're not saying, hey, I'm just going to let all of those analytics drive my decision-making drive my hiring behavior, drive the training that I need to do. There's that human element to say, well, you know, we happen to know that 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 outage that occurred was a fiber cut that we had no no control over and it cut both our primary and secondary lines. And, you know, they just happen to have two fiber cuts at once. So how do you control that? Like your analytics are going to be thrown out the window. Your SLA numbers will be thrown out the window. But you don't go and just say, well, because that, happened and is telling me that I have a problem in my business, I therefore need to go make a change. That one just quite honestly could be dumb luck, right? At the end of the day, it could just be dumb luck. So, so as you're starting to take a look at, you know, how you go about measuring your business. And I've, I've been asked this question a few times from folks that are new in building a customer success organization, or there's been kind of a a partial, well, this is kind of what we do for customer success today, but we know that we really need it. And so I always ask them, why? Why do you need a customer success organization? And the reason why I've asked that, and you've probably heard this on prior episodes, is are, are, you, are you solving a true need or are you solving a definition that somebody says that you should need, whether it's 
an investor, whether it's a customer, whether it's a team member, whether it was an article that you read uh, in, in the SkyMall magazine that talked about, you know, everything should go in the cloud. I don't know, but please tell me why you need this. And so, you know, most of the time it's, it is a true need, but there have been instances where some of my friends in the industry have said, well, you know, we're, we're just getting a lot of pressure to, to go do this because that's where the industry's headed. Okay. Um, I guess I'd probably have to ask you a slew of other questions on why, if that's, you're just going to go through a headcount at a problem that may not necessarily exist or what of based on how the definitions are today, maybe that could be slightly modified. And, and so that got into some other conversations that I've had and I know we'll, we'll get to the metrics. Metrics are easy. It's, it's math, trust me, but I'm, I'm teeing this up for a reason. Um, one of the, the areas as part of this defined practice has, has started to exist. And, and again, it comes down to people. People are in these roles. People are the ones that are delivering and hopefully performing these desired outcomes for our customers. But there's been instances where some of my friends have gone to start up a customer success organization. And I ask them, okay, what is this going to look like? And, and how is this going to be created? And some of the answers are, are baffling in such that it's not the true definition of, of how a lot of customer success organizations are being structured today. Some of them actually are more customer success engineers. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a friend of mine at a company and their post-sale implementation process was the most painful part in that their pre-sales teams, you know, hey, we're talking about pre-sales here on this podcast quite often, right? Their pre-sales teams are the ones that would typically go out and roll a truck and perform an implementation. Now, it's not necessarily they're putting a box on site or anything like that. They would actually go and and load software. It's very, you know, kind of um, cool company. And they would load this software to connect into different other services across across the globe. And and part of that was some training and et cetera. So we kind of say roll a truck. It's a legacy term uh, came out of the telecommunications kind of world of, you know, hey, rolling a technician out to a customer site. So they would they would kind of roll this truck and do some training and some, you know, kind of some enablement that way. But it was, a, a, as the product had developed over time, it became more and more complex. They didn't necessarily have to roll this truck. So they decided, okay, we need to have this customer success organization, which makes sense, right? You you sell something and you don't want your pre-sales team having to build and solve a problem and then go install it afterwards. Like you could, but then that has a huge detriment on your go-to-market and your new logo acquisition strategy because your super talented architects are now also having to go install something and they can't address net new business. So he started peeling it back and, and, you know, he's asking me questions about, you know, this customer success organization, what it should look like, you know, what would I recommend? And, and so I started looking at it and, and I said, really what you need is almost another SE team and another SA team. And he kind of like, well, what? And I said, well, think about it. Think about what you're going to have to do. You're, you're now at the point where a lot of this enablement can be done remotely, but you're having to imp- do some of these implementations on site and uh, connect within other services across the globe for your other vendors that tie into other aspects of this solution. The typical profile, my friend, of a CSM does not fit this. They don't have that technical aptitude that you're looking for. You're looking for either 
maybe that step below your architect or a couple steps below, but somebody that understands the, the product and service. I said, most likely your profile might look like somebody that is in support today in your knock or somebody that maybe is coming out of the product team uh, or product world that understands this and is really good in front of a customer to help triage and kind of get them over the hump in terms of an, in, uh, an implementation. I said, you're not necessarily focused on retaining business and worrying about contracts and those types of things in that part of the cycle. Of course, that was his you know, continued overall responsibility. I said, you need to make sure these customers are onboarded and and installed quickly, right? So they can start adopting the product, you can start billing them, but you can also get them, you know, to their desired outcome, which was completing the implementation. And so then that kind of started getting into other conversations, you know, that I've had with others. Um, you know, sometimes the service that you are providing, you you out there in the in the world, right, are providing to your end customer, that service then powers your customer's customer, right? could be a platform, could be uh, a SaaS tool, it could be, you know, um, some sort of maybe even a professional service, very well could be, you could be providing a, uh, you know, a DevOps engineer for your customer who is then going to then rebuild or build something for their end customer. It happens, a lot of services out there. So that to me, again, may look more like a a client services partner, a client partner, right? Uh, so that is more at the higher end of the spectrum where you have individuals that could be badged employees out at a large Fortune 100 company handling a large project implementation and also helping with the implementation or the ongoing maintenance of this. Uh, when, you know, and, and one of my roles um, at CenturyLink years ago, I had the pre-sales team, I had the post-sales service management team then I had what would look like a, a customer success team, um, account consultants, basically. They're called something different, but essentially uh, customer success. And those all had different practices and re responsibilities. We had some of those individuals at a couple of our larger clients. They were badged employees. They had different roles and responsibilities. They were part of that vendor team, even though they were our employees. And so... That again there isn't the true standard definition of what we see in customer success broadly, especially within SaaS. So I, I mention this because the customer success definition for your organization could look very uh, complementary to what is out there today or adverse to what is in the ecosystem that we currently see. So understanding what your roles and responsibilities will be in your customer success organization does have a, you know, potentially slightly different impact into the metrics. But at the end of the day, the metrics, you know, of customers staying or leaving or growing or downgrading are ultimately going to be the same. The motion may just look much different. If your client services partner focused and, you know, your contracts are three to five years and they slowly incrementally add services. It's not like a true elastic type of uh, cloud service. Then, you know, maybe you're not necessarily measuring, you know, your churn rates the way that we, we would in a, in a SaaS model. So again, really trying to analyze how the human component against the human component of your customer will 
be interchangeable or will look the same across this team that you're building or modifying or um, changing. Or I guess that's the same thing as modifying. But you know what I'm saying. So, um, so with that, you know, what I wanted to do over the coming episodes is just, you know, talk a little bit about some of the metrics and, and some of the things that I've, I've learned and I've also heard from others. And, and as we start to have some guests on, we'll start asking them their questions, these questions around what they've found works well for metrics. Some leaders love metrics. They'll just look at dashboards and metrics all day, and that will help them craft their focus of where do I go insert myself in the business. If I am seeing a tremendous amount of revenue degradation in the organization, but it's not indicative of anything that's going on outside of maybe our services slightly becoming commoditized, but we're not actually losing the customer, then that's a different motion to go and focus versus we have lost 100% of that revenue and 100% of that customer, they are no longer here. And then again, okay, well, well, what kind of, you know, loss is that? So talk a little bit about that because, you know, you can continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. What I, what I do recommend, uh, or I have recommend re- recommended for some of my peers is keep in mind the analytics. If you are a leader, throwing a tremendous amount of data at your CSM can be detrimental to their well-being, meaning that they're just focused on which way I have to go on a particular metric all day long because you've covered 20 different spreadsheets and different um, points of light on a PowerPoint. Let them do their role and slowly coach them in the areas that they need to push and pull. If you're sitting there you know, for three or four hours a day going through metrics with them, they're only going to think about metrics. They're only going to think about every time I talk to that customer in front of me, I'm just thinking about, oh my God, which way is this going to go? You know, they talked about a, an upgrade a week ago. Is that still in the play? And they told me that, you know, let's talk about that in a month, but you know, I, I've got this metric that my upgrades aren't going up. And, you know, so think about that, you know, before you start throwing a bunch of metrics out, you will find most likely someone on your team, one of your CSMs, really likes the metrics. Expose that, meaning allow them to, to maybe take that a little bit deeper and see how they can also be that subject matter expert around the metrics of the business. No different than the person that really enjoys renewals, that thrives on taking a difficult customer that doesn't want to renew with you or wants to pay 20 or 40, 80% less. We've all had those customers, right? Or the customer says, yeah, I'm good with renewing. You just need to talk to uh, my procurement team. And the procurement team, who's a professional negotiator, wants to take you from you know, $100 a month down to two and expects additional value in services. Like that person that loves those types of deals, like maybe they, they're the subject matter expert on renewals. So you're starting to see how you can you can kind of cross-pollinate your team in some different areas. So if you find that person that really likes the metrics, gravitate towards that person. You don't have to single them out. You don't have to say, hey, well, you know, Jane really loves the numbers team, so I'm just going to share them with Jane. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is that's an opportunity for you as a leader to pull Jane aside once in a while and say, hey, Jane, take a look at these numbers. What do you think? you know, um, I'm noticing a trend here, here, and here. You really like the numbers. Can you just, why don't you take another look at this and give me another set of eyes on it, come back later. And that does a couple things, right? If you're a leader, that shows, and, and hopefully you're sincere in that. You're not just doing that 
to, to not be sincere. But, but that shows that, A, you, you, know, you don't have all the answers, so you're entrusting a, a steward on your team. Two, they may or most likely will find a way to solve a problem or two for you. So why not surround yourself with that team? That's all about customer success is surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you block and tackle for your customers on a daily basis. And that's what customers are expecting of you as a professional. So when I, you know, when I start thinking about um, metrics, right, uh, people that, especially people that are not in customer success, it's funny because they all say, oh yeah, yeah, customer success. They, you know, you know you, you're always asked what your churn number is and, you know, how, how do you maintain your churn number? And so there again, once they say that, you know, how do you, how do you impact churn or what is your churn? What, what should the churn number be? Uh, in the industry. And, and that uh, has some different definitions depending upon what kind of services you offer and where you fall within the ecosystem. But that, man, let me tell you, that's just like an opening to say, all right, let's pull out the couch and start having a therapy session because churn has a couple different legs to it and it's just not one number. And if CS is new to your company in the, in the form that we've defined it in the industry, please make sure that your leadership from your CEO down completely understands what churn is. And also, I mean, hopefully at that point, they've completely bought into customer success being a necessity in your organization. That's another whole probably topic as well. We'll probably have to bring, bring some uh, colorful guests on that have talked about how they've launched customer success organizations, but the, the top level C-levels haven't really bought into it yet. Um, or they've, they said, yes, we have to, we have to hire, but yeah, yeah, I don't really pay attention to it. And that's obviously a, a detriment, <coughs> excuse me. Um, okay. So, so when I think of customer churn, I think of it in a couple, couple different ways. And there's some, there's some great, great material out there. I know some people probably agree with me or disagree. If you're, if you, if you haven't built any of these metrics in yet, um, so there's two two methods. If you like numbers and you you won't become inundated, measure everything and then pull it back. And me, meaning keeping it close to yourself and then just just do some really deep data optics. And that's where you can just you could spend hours on it. But you don't necessarily have to share it. Just seek to understand. If you're a small startup or you know you have one or two products and your customer count in the grand scheme of things, isn't that large? Like I wouldn't overthink all of these numbers that you got to go put together. Quite honestly, you can understand if your business is pretty healthy or not. So, so when I think of customer churn, I think of it in two basic forms to start with. That is the customers itself, the logos or the name brands of who they are. So if you have a hundred customers today, how many of those hundred customers will exist based on how you need to measure your business. Most likely it's monthly, but you also want to look at annually so you can see your year over year change. You may look at quarterly. As you get more customers or more specialized into verticals, you may start looking vertically. Like what is my customer churn? So that logo churn look like in the FinTech space or the insurance vertical or healthcare. And the reason why you may want to break that down is, again, that obviously helps you understand where those verticals are looking you know, to grow and, and, and partner with you in the organization. But this is where you could also have 
some really interesting and helpful conversations with your product team. And so those that, that run customer success or are, or, or are individual contributors in customer success, you know, I think you really need to make sure that you have had a qualified conversation regularly with your product team. Okay. That is not, Hey, go ahead and, you know, build all these great things. It's coming back to them with data. And so this is like that first step of doing that. So, so I usually look at it and say, how many customers have left me today, meaning my organization and, and just really dividing that by, you know, the, the total end customers, you know, so you can, you can basically look at it, say, if I, if I had a hundred customers to start with, I lost three, then I know I'm down 3% of my customers lost. What I like to do, depending upon the business again, and the, you're going to hear this with me around customer success quite a bit. It really depends. It depends. It depends. It really does. If you super transactional business, we'll say it's SaaS, for example, you take credit cards from your customers and they, the contract is on a monthly basis, you are going to see a lot of fluctuations in the business for a couple of reasons. One, customers can churn every 30 days, right? They are allowed to do that. If your contracts allow them to do that and they, they only pay monthly, <clears throat> then you, you have the risk every 30 days that you could potentially have 100% churn. Most likely that won't happen, but that is your risk. If you're paying through credit cards, uh, not doing credit checks, you could have some nefarious actors that you know just simply don't pay anymore or their credit card is canceled, et cetera. I've seen that happen as well. And so how do you figure out what that breakage is to say, yes, it's healthy? You know, do, do out, of, out of those 100 customers every month that are, are not on a credit check, that the average billing is you know $100, $150 and it's on a credit card, do you see a lot of credit cards decline? Do you see a lot of non-pays? And then ultimately these customers evaporate, they go out of business. So how do you take kind of that, what I would say bad debt customer churn? That's kind of what I like to, to look at it. It's like, what, is, what are all my bad debt customer churn? Because you can't control if a customer comes onto the platform, it's self-service, they swipe a credit card, then they decide to leave or that credit card is declined on month two or three. You cannot control that. Maybe slightly you could. You could, if you are able to get a hold of them to get a new credit card, which does happen, you're able to fix it because it is an honest mistake. But I've seen many trends where that that is not the case. Customers are here today, they're gone tomorrow. So what is that healthy number that your organization's willing to support? Because I think that's, that's uh, an open conversation, open dialogue you need to have, obviously with your CRO, need to have that with finance and CFO team. And I think it's also, you know, you want to make sure product and marketing understand that because marketing from a demand gen standpoint is bringing on these leads and it's part of their customer acquisition, right? They need to understand, hey, for every hundred customers we bring in, three are just going to be folks that come in, use something, and then they're gone. So that's good to understand. Then I would say the second bucket in that customers that have just left the platform entirely um, you know, are those that are upset with you or there's a competitive situation or they were acquired and the parent company now requires all of their sub, um, parent, you know, ch children companies to use a certain service that's competitive to yours. And, and then you do have some of those instances, customers just completely go out of business. You know, the enterprise side doesn't happen as much, but you know, what, what are those customers that are just simply requesting to go down and 
um, simply because of those areas and also due to product. And this is where um, there are instances where customers are going to leave you because of the product. Now, this isn't the opportunity to go and wave the flag over to your product team and say, see, for every four customers that come on the platform, we lose, you know, two of those and we have a 50% churn rate. That's not what you want to do. You want to be able to partner with your product team, right? They're working just as hard as you are to figure out, okay, how do we solve this problem? How do we correct these customers from leaving it from us? Or leaving us. And and that's a, a great open dialogue. And it could also be, right? <laughs> I've seen this many, many, many times. It was architected incorrectly. We sold them the wrong product, you know, and those are the things that we want to capture. Because again, if you're not able to help change and fix that, you want to be able to be able to talk through it. So what I do see is customers, you know, in the ecosystem will say, hey, you know, our our gross customer churn is this. And they think that that's it. And that, that might be okay for your business, but I always like to go a little bit deeper, kind of give me, you know, I would say the the bad debt and the requested um, numbers to leave and kind of give me those two ratios. So I, I think that's really, really important. So again, when somebody says, hey, you know, what's your churn rate? And be like, well, wh which one? Do you want to know my logo churn rate? Do you want to know my revenue churn rate? Um, and again, you don't necessarily, you know, if, if you're running a CS team, you don't have to go and, show this all these numbers but it is a good dialogue to say hey you know what team we had a we had a rough month we lost 10 customers out of 100 we're we're at a 10 percent churn rate this month but i don't want people to get upset because nine of those were bad credit cards so i'm taking this back to the organization we're going to figure out how do we how do we maybe just do a little extra due diligence or filter some of these customers from coming in a little bit better or you know what this was just a heavy month but normally we only see that as a 2% churn. So really, if you back out those, you know, nine credit card issues, we really only had 1% churn this month. And that's how you want to have that dialogue internally, right? So that's where the numbers can have an impact on the human element and the human element can have an impact on the numbers, vice versa, right? So again, uh, while you're having this kind of dialogue within your business, I think it's really important to, to, to be mindful of that human element, not only in your team, but your customer. So as these customers are starting to churn, why are they churning? Um, you know, if they are churning because they're giving you bad credit card numbers and you can't get a hold of them and, you know, your CSM team is trying to reach out to try to figure these things out or it's a product issue, you're having that dialogue. So as you become more mature in the business, I don't know, wouldn't it be kind of cool if, your forecasted churn rate was 10% at the beginning of the month. And you as a team were able to get that down to 7% because you were able to make some changes here within these two buckets of logo churn. Maybe you were able to help the customer that was really upset with the product. You were able to leverage the product team to talk about the roadmap or, hey, you know what? Our SA or our sales team overscoped this. Let's talk about how we could turn this into a downgrade. And that's a much different conversation. But think about that. Just on a team standpoint, you could say, hey, we were forecasting 10%. We came at 5%. We nailed it this this month, team. I know, you know, and finance is going to look at it and say, this is tough. But I went in there as a leader as a forecast of 10%. And we came in at 5 And here's the things that we did. 
And that's how you start building, you know, some, some really good cadence, uh, focuses within the team, but it starts, you start building a culture, right? It's like, all right, we're using the metrics, but it's not going to define who we are. And, and we're working as individuals and that's not necessarily going to completely define who we are either. So then let's talk about, uh, the real basic, um, monetary amount of churn. So the, the kind of the dollar churn or the pound churn or whatever, uh, currency you're in, uh, globally, <clears throat> And the reason why this is the other aspect of churn. So when people come to you and say, hey, what is your churn number? It's like, well, you're talking about logos and now you're talking about the monetary aspect. And so again, this is where it gets a little dicey. Um, we'll just say at a high level, you have, again, use $100 that is billing every month and now you have $2 less. Okay, my gross amount is 2% in uh, revenue that is going away. Okay, pretty simple. But why is that revenue going away? Think about it. Why is it going away? Are they, again, if going back to the prior example, are they leaving us? Are they leaving us because they are bad debt? You know, they've credit cards, et cetera, that, that whole example. Or have they requested to leave? Or, depending upon your business, again, mention, I, said, I full disclosure, I said this was going to happen. Again, depending upon your business, if you allow them to write down some of their business. So if their utilization is X and they want to go down to Y and you allow them to go down 20, 30%, that has a negative impact on your revenue. However, it does not have a negative impact on your logo churn. It has an impact on your revenue churn, but you know, it's obviously not ideal. You don't want a 20 or 30% revenue write down for any customer. If, even if they're giving you you know, very small billing. You don't want to lose any of that, but that is a better alternative than having a hundred percent of that customer leave you to go elsewhere. Right? So how do you capture that? Now I'll add another piece. What happens if you have other products and services and you're very astute and awesome customer success manager has figured out a way to add that sir another service to that customer. So they're going <clears> to <throat> churn 20% of their revenue. However, they're looking to add another widget or two or another piece of software that you have within your organization to replace that write down. And that happens often. That happens so for any new CSMs that are in, in into this role, understand that there's many times that a customer has a certain budget. They have $100 a month that they can spend. They want to spend two, $300 with you. It's not in the cards. They don't have the budget for it. And there may be times where they say, okay, I'm going to cancel or dis discontinue using a service or two or <clears throat> coming down on utilization in exchange for trying to drive, um, you know, adding some additional uh, products and services. So think about it that way, that the gross dollar churn has a lot of these different pieces in, in, in those components where it could just be a complete loss. It could be a write down. It could be a write down and a net new piece of business, which I would call cross sell. And so does the industry. And that's important because as your products and services continue to um, grow in years, but maybe not in features and functionality, meaning they become le legacy. How do you replace some of those legacy services with new products and services or augment your existing platform or service with another key feature as you continue to build out the product portfolio? 
So how do you how do you factor in that? So you want to measure all of those. So you know in the show notes we'll probably have uh, some of the the, the the quick math equations. All of this can be done in your CRM, and I've I've built this um, several times uh, on my own and within my CRMs, and and it works really well. And it's another good way to really figure out okay what is the the gross exposure we have for revenue loss, but it's explainable. And then you can start going through look. <clears throat> Now we can go down to the product. Why are we seeing a 20% drop in product X for a write-down perspective, but we're not losing the customer, they're buying Y? Well, you know, it's this is the new version of it, or, you know, we're just out outpriced. There's a lot of different ways. And then you can start looking at by, by vertical. You know, you may notice, hey, government services, you know, in some of these GSA contracts, they tend to, to not churn any of the products and the revenue until that cycle is over. And then that write down is typically a standard 10% because they have to show that back to their state municipality. Okay. So just another complexity of tech business selling in into state governments that you may get exposed to. So, so that's why the, 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 the churn number for those two kind of components is, is very, very important. So then when you start to, to net it out, now you're looking at, okay, what is my total net churn based on, you know, am I, am I losing money on any downgrades? Am I losing any money on customers just leaving me? Am I getting anything back to replace because of that revenue gain? And then that kind of gives you that, that net number. Now I'll throw another piece in here that many folks in customer success don't use. So here's a little nugget for you, depending upon your business, if it's extremely transactional, especially, um, what is your win back? So people go, well, what's a win back? So a customer leaves you today, we'll say it's October today, and they come back within the next 12 months. How do you factor that into your business? Is that a net new sale or does that actually help your churn? So you basically go back and adjust your churn numbers afterwards. You you um, reconcile them later. Just like if you filed your taxes incorrectly here in the States and you go refile them again. Oh, here's my net new number. I actually owe you more money, IRS. So do the same thing on the win back. <clears throat> you may, you know... Regardless of how it's compensated, so again, this gets into another whole scenario where CRO says, hey, no, they left us. We, we wrote them off. That's a net new logo. I want my team to get paid on. Let them deal with that piece of the business. From your perspective, you decide, is that is that part of you know fixing my churn number? I would say yes. If it's within the, that 12 months, great. If, if your annual contracts are three years at, at the minimum that you, you can give, Okay, and that customer comes back within, you know, 12 months, maybe even 18 months, you know, you as a business decide what those policies look like. So you can you can start talking about, hey, we were able to win these customers back. Tra I, I see it more in the transactional side, honestly, than I do in the the um, more slower enterprise side for a lot of these lethargic sales cycles. But keep in mind, <clears throat> factoring in the win back is important for two reasons. One, it, it continues to show the health of your organization and, and kind of gets a little bit deeper. But the second, the second, if you are a customer success manager that was able to get that customer back, how powerful is that back into your team for your product folks, your marketing team, your executives, that you went toe to toe and kept, kept up with that customer even after they left and convinced them to come back to your organization. And that, my friend, is something that I think is super powerful that does not get talked about enough is what is that win back number? And that should be a focus of everybody in customer success, at least in some component, because if you can win back that customer, 
I guarantee that they will continue to be a customer much longer than they were for that original cycle. And there you have it. These are some quick tips on churn. We will continue some other metrics as we continue our journey here over the coming weeks. I've got a great uh, guest coming up here in a couple weeks, and uh, we will chat soon. So uh, enjoy your customer success weekend, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Talking head on the tube, trying to rile up the minions. Telling stories that they say are all facts when we know.